Good evening, Foothill Family Church. Welcome to midweek service. Do us a favor if you're watching on Facebook, go ahead and share uh, the worship tonight and share the message. If you're watching on YouTube, just go ahead and text a bunch of your friends. Let them know that they should be tuning into church on the midweek service. Father, we thank you for this night, for this chance to come together to worship you and to honor you. Thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people. And wherever we are worshiping from tonight, God, you are in our midst. We love you, Father. Father, 
bless your name we exalt you as king of kings and lord of lords we thank you father for the precious holy spirit that's here among us we thank you lord for utterance and direction by the holy ghost we love you father we bless your holy name amen amen well good evening everyone i'm going to start tonight in mark chapter 11 in verse 12, and on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. First thing I want you to notice about this, this uh, event took place during the last week of Jesus' ministry. 
the, during the last week of his, his time here on earth. And Jesus came to a fig tree that had leaves on it. Now, the way that fig trees operated in Israel, still do, is that the fruit and the leaves come out at the same time. That's a little different than uh, the way some fruit trees operate, but that's the way that a fig tree works. And so when Jesus saw the, the leaves, it should have been, and under normal circumstances, it would have been a, a, a signal that the tree was bearing fruit. But when Jesus got there, he found out that there was no fruit on it. There was nothing but just leaves. So here's an unfruitful situation that Jesus is faced with. Something that's not producing in the way that God intended for it to. Something that's not providing for him the sustenance that he seeks from it. So it says he answered. I love that word, answered. It means this is his response to an unfruitful circumstance that crosses his path. Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now we want to skip down to verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Now, folks, notice that Jesus simply spoke to the tree. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the spoken word, God's word, is and was sufficient with power enough to cause this tree to die in a supernatural manner. I think it's important that it tells us that it dried up from the roots because it's something that took place in the unseen, below ground, that caused this tree to cease to exist. So in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. Now, Peter doesn't really ask a question, but he has a question. Jesus recognizes the implied question that Peter poses him. How did this happen? We heard you curse the tree, but how did this happen? And Jesus answering said, have faith in God. Now this word uh, in, in Mark eleven twenty two, is also the word of, where it says, have the faith of God. It means operate in the same kind of faith that God does. The Bible said, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, we having the same spirit of faith, we believe and also believe. That same spirit of faith that he's talking about is the same spirit of faith that God himself has. So here where it says have faith in God or have the faith of God, he's talking about faith that's given from God. We know that the way that that works is in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, which says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the word of God produces faith and Jesus is showing us the extent of that faith. It's the faith that God has. It's the faith that's shed abroad in our hearts. It's the faith that we are expected and intended to use to deal with unfruitful circumstances in our lives. You know, we run across a lot of things and experience a lot of things in life, in life that don't work the way that they're supposed to, that don't provide for us in the manner that it should. You remember when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. They chose to obey the devil instead of obey God. From that point forward, after the curse was pronounced on the earth, and the curse was pronounced upon Satan. The Bible tells us that the earth bring, started bringing forth thorns. It started uh, 
operating in a, a manner that was different than before sin was on the scene or came on the scene. There are times where we experience where the earth resists us. The things of this world resist us as far as providing for us. And Jesus gives us the perfect example of what to do when we run up on those unfruitful circumstances. Jesus cursed the fig tree. He didn't pray. He didn't ask God to do something about the fig tree. Jesus operating with a ma as a man here on the earth, given authority because he's a human being. Remember God's original intent for man was to have dominion over all the earth according to Genesis 1.26. So Jesus exercising his authority as a human being, as a natural man, born of a woman. When he exercised that authority, he did so by the words that he spoke. The next morning, they see the results. Jesus tells them how this took place. He said, have the faith of God. In other words, he's saying the faith of God did this. <clears throat> the same faith that God used when he created the world. That faith has been given to us in a measure. Thank God we can grow that faith or grow the measure of that faith to come to the place where Jesus referred to others as having strong faith or great faith. But it's still the operation of faith. The words that we speak are the exercise of our authority here on the earth. And if you don't speak, you're not using your authority. He goes on to tell us how this faith works. Verse 23, For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Folks, the operation of God's faith or the God kind of faith is operating according to things that you don't see, but that you believe from God's word to be true even though your physical eyes can't see it, even though your physical hand can't touch it. We believe things based on what God's word says. You know, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden before the fall, their only source of information was their spirit, which was joined directly to God. I believe that's the way that God wants all of our information to operate. He wants us to trust his word and operate according to his word rather than the things that we can see around us, uh, rather than the physical realm, rather than the sense realm. No matter what we feel, no matter how it looks, we have truth that goes beyond the physical eye, that truth that's given to us by the word of God. So Jesus explains in Mark 20, eleven twenty three. That our words carry power. Verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Well Jesus is using a mountain as a, uh, a, as a type or typical of the illustration to illustrate the things that he's just operated on uh, when he cursed the fig tree. He's saying it doesn't just work on trees. It'll work on mountains or any problems in life. He said whosoever shall say unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Now here's the qualifier, and shall not doubt in his heart. Doubt in your heart is accepting what the world says or the conditions and circumstances that are around us in this physical realm rather than the truth of God's word. So he says, and shall not doubt in his heart. In other words, shall not speak anything to the contrary. Well, if he's not doubting in his heart, then we, he's having to believe in his heart. When Jesus talked about believing that those things which we say shall come to pass, He's talking about believing according to what the Word says. Believe according to the authority that the Word says has been given unto you and me. 
not doubting in his heart means sticking with what the word says to be true no matter how long it uh, looks contrary to that. So he said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart or from his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Jesus is telling them and us that the principle of faith, the God kind of faith, speaks and acts according to God's word and the information related to us from God's word in that unseen realm. Even though we can't see beyond the veil of the flesh, we act, we speak, we operate according to what God's word says and not according to our feelings or our circumstances. He said, if we'll believe that those things which we say shall come to pass, we shall have whatsoever we saith. Then he goes on in verse 24 to talk about the prayer of faith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now the thing that governs this prayer of faith and makes it work is the timing. Notice he said, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, what things soever you desire, what things soever you desire, when you pray, here's the timing, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now notice it talks about two different things. It talks about having and believing you receive. A lot of times people are looking to have something before they'll start believing in it. There have been numerous times over the years that people have come to have hands laid on them for healing. And once we do, we'll quote the word, we'll lay hands on them, and then immediately they check their bodies to see if anything has happened. Well, believing your heart is believing that the, the, what the Bible says about healing is true. The Bible says we'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It doesn't say we'll lay hands on the sick and they'll feel better. It says we'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It says the prayer of faith, James said it this way, he said the prayer of faith shall heal save or heal the sick and the Lord shall raise them up the Bible tells us that the operation of the faith of God is to believe that you receive when you pray now if we do that in the same manner as verse 23 if we believe that the words that we say shall come to pass we shall have whatsoever we say if we believe that the prayer of faith has been spoken if we hold fast to that doubt not in our heart then we shall have those things now we normally when we're talking about the subject of faith stop there but let's keep reading Jesus continues to say in verse 25 and when you stand praying now the praying he's talking about is the prayer of faith he just referred to in verse 23 I'm sorry verse 24 verse 23 he said faith will work just by speaking verse 24 it says faith will work in prayer so here where he's talking about standing in praying He's talking about praying the prayer of faith. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, for your father, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Now, why is he talking about forgiveness? Why is he talking about the importance of forgiving? Folks, of all the things the Bible tells us, the great and wonderful truths that the Bible reveals to us about faith, the operation of faith, and the prayer of faith, this is the only hindrance that's ever mentioned. This is the only thing that ever, is ever identified as being powerful enough or serious enough to stop the operation of faith from bringing forth the things that you desire. Now think about that, folks. If God used faith 
according to Hebrews chapter 11, God created the worlds and everything in this physical realm by his words. He spoke his words and he expected those words to come to pass and they did. Because the word of God is infallible. The word of God is unchanging. The word of God is eternal. So when the Bible tells us to operate in the same kind of faith, it's telling us, it's putting in our hands possibility concerning the things that may look or feel impossible to us. But then he warns us. He says there's one thing that will stop your faith from working, and that's unbelief or unforgiveness. When you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any. Now I want you to look with me over to Galatians chapter 5. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. Notice along with what Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 25. Here Paul writes to the church, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. He said, for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. Notice he said faith works by love. Well, if faith works by love, then faith can't work without love. If faith works by love, then love is the necessary ingredient for us to add to any and every situation that we encounter. Now, let me show you something about this love, this love of God. John 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one toward another. Now, notice that. Jesus says a new commandment. He's talking about the Ten Commandments being rolled up and, and wrapped in one commandment for the new covenant. And that one commandment of the new covenant, that only commandment of the new covenant, is to walk in love. And it says the world will recognize us as followers of Jesus by this love. Now let me show you something else about this love in 1 John chapter 3. Verse 14, John says by the Holy Ghost, we know that we have passed from death unto life. Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So notice what this love of God will do. This love of God will cause the world to know and recognize that we're disciples of God. Disciples of Jesus. But it also is the means by which we know ourselves. That the life of God is on the inside of us. Our love toward others, other Christians. Is the sign to us. And our love toward all men is the sign to the world. Now, I want you to see something else that Jesus said about this faith and this operation of faith and how it uh, stands and works by forgiveness or by love. Luke chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus said, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seventeen times, seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turned again to thee, saying, I repent. Thou shalt forgive him. Folks, if somebody does you wrong seven times per day, it's a pretty good guess that it's on purpose. And so Jesus is talking about this, and apparently the disciples felt the same way about it as we would, that that's a pretty high mark. And the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. Now, one of the things we give the, I give the disciples a hard time sometimes for not seeing and recognizing the things that Jesus was saying and missing out on things that we take for granted because we're able to look backwards 
where they couldn't. But this is one thing that the disciples understood that most of the church world never clues in on. They recognized that forgiveness had to be an operation of faith. Now, the opposite of faith, we might say, are feelings. The opposite of faith, we might say, is doubt or unbelief. But notice that these guys are recognizing that this faith, this operation of faith, where forgiveness is concerned, has to be apart from and separated from their feelings. In other words, what I'm trying to say is you don't forgive by feelings, you forgive by faith. And they knew this. And they're simply identifying that they didn't think their faith was strong enough to accomplish what Jesus had just said about forgiving someone seven times per day for working against you. So the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say to this sycamine tree, be plucked up by the root and, it, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Now this word might in verse 6 you might say. This word might means will or would say. He's saying if you have faith, it's going to come out of your mouth. So if when they said, and he hadn't changed the subject, he's answering their, to their uh, he's responding to their statement about, Lord, increase our faith. Well, his response is, speak it. Speak forgiveness. Speak to the sycamine tree. And he uses something that has deep roots. He says, See, speak to that deep-rooted unforgiveness or that deep-rooted bitterness that might be holding you back. Say that you forgive. One of the greatest challenges I faced was after, shortly after my father died, I was preparing to go to uh, Bible school in just a very short time, a couple of months after my dad had died. And... Um, and he had remarried. He had been remarried for a couple of years uh, before he died. Uh, my mom and, and he had divorced when I was a senior in high school. But there were several years that went by. And anyway, my dad got remarried. And the way he set up his will, put everything in the, in the, uh, under the control of her hands, this second wife that he had, and she made no bones about it. And once he was gone, once the funeral was over, immediately after the funeral, as a matter of fact, she made no bones about the fact that she was never going to release any funds from my dad's estate to either my brother or myself. And it was something that hurt in a lot of ways. I mean, the money would have helped a great deal. But it was hurtful. The part that really bugged me the most, at least, was the hurtful nature in which she made sure that we heard that uh, her opinion, her, um, well, she accepted it as fact. We didn't. But she made a real point of digging, us, uh, digging at us a little bit by saying that my dad never wanted us to have anything. Well, I didn't believe that, but it still didn't hurt the, stop the hurt about it from being felt. And so I remember that I was driving down in Birmingham, Alabama, hadn't moved out to Oklahoma yet, didn't have the money to go at that point. And so I was driving, this was in 1980, I was driving down the road, and this thing had just happened. We had just received information 
uh, about what she had said and what she was going to do with the funds from my dad's estate and that type of thing. And I was mad. I was hurt. And I was in the car by myself just venting, talking out loud, talking to God, hoping that God would do something to vindicate me and bring these things back around to us because uh, we needed them, the funds, I mean. And, um, and the Lord spoke to me just as clear as anything he's ever said to me before in my life. He said, you know you're going to have to forgive her. And I said the same thing as the apostles said here, except they recognized it was a matter of faith. They're responding in a way that they don't think they're able to do so. Well, I knew I wasn't able to do it, or at least that's what I thought. And I was stunned that the Lord spoke to me, and he spoke to me real strong. I knew that it wasn't me. I knew it wasn't the devil. And so I knew it had to be from God. And so I responded to the Lord, Lord, you got to be kidding. We're the one that's been done wrong here. She's the one that did wrong, and we're supposed to forgive her. And the Lord didn't answer me. I went on with a little, another little tirade about not being able to do so and not being fair and this, not, this isn't fair, this situation isn't fair and all that kind of stuff. And the Lord just let me rant. He just let me keep going. And after I ran out of breath, he was still in the same place and I still had the same problem to deal with. I knew I was going to have to forgive her. And so I asked the Lord about it. I was honest. I was sincere. And I said, okay, Lord, I see this. And I know you're right. I knew enough of the word at that point in time to recognize that it was biblical and scriptural to do so. But I just asked him. I said, how am I supposed to do that? I was sincere. I wasn't venting anymore. I wasn't in, uh, ranting any longer. I just said, Lord, how am I supposed to do that? And then the Lord said, pray for her. Well, being the smart aleck that I was at the time, I responded and said, okay, I can do that. I'll pray she gets hit by a bus. And the Lord didn't say anything to me again until I came right back around to acting on what he said to do. I said, what do I pray for, Lord? He said, pray that I will bless her. Well, that was the last thing in the world I wanted. I didn't want her to be blessed. I didn't want her to, to be satisfied in any way from the uh, money that was in my dad's estate. And so I ran it and vented a little bit more, calmed down, came back to my senses, went back to talking to God about it. And I just said, okay, Lord, if that's what I have to do to make things right with you, then I'll do it. So I prayed a prayer of God's blessing upon her. And I did it through the gritting of my teeth. In other words, I knew and God knew that I didn't really feel the things that I was asking him to do. I wouldn't have been happy if he did them. And he did. He started blessing her in a lot of different ways. And these things were made known to me. Probably my brother too. We didn't talk about it much. But I went back at another time, not too many days afterwards. And I said, Lord, I can't believe this. You told me to pray that, I would, that you would bless her. And now you're blessing her. And the Lord responded to me and said, well, that's what you prayed. Yeah, but I didn't pray it meaning it. I prayed it because I didn't have any choice, and this was what you were requiring of me to do. And so this went on for a couple of weeks. It, it was something that tapered off, started off 
thinking about it a hundred times a day. And every time I would think about it, I'd remember what the Lord said. And no matter how I felt about it, no matter what I, I wanted to, to do in response to it, I'd pray again and again and again, Lord bless her. It wasn't a long prayer. It was just those three words, Lord bless her. And after a period of, um, well, 10 days, maybe two weeks, something like that, something happened. Again, I was by myself. And I had just thought about what she had done and how it had come about. And so I, I did my routine. It was just a routine of the flesh. It wasn't anything that I had compassion on her about. I didn't have any compassion for her. But as I was fulfilling my routine, based on what God told me to do, just obeying him, all of a sudden my eyes were opened, and I saw her like God saw her. I realized how fearful she must be. Holding on to the money was the only thing she had that would be any help or any benefit to her whatsoever. I just saw her in a desperate situation. And at that point, my heart broke about it. I didn't stop thinking that she did wrong. What she did was wrong. The way she did it was wrong. But I was able to see her with a little bit of compassion. And when that happened, I began to pray in earnest. Oh, Lord, I see where she's coming from. I see that you're trying to reach her. I see that you're trying to do good by her and show her how good you are. And that's the reason why you're blessing her. And from that point forward, I began to pray, or when I began to pray, and again, it wasn't an um, all-the-time, everyday thing. The further and further I got away from it, the less and less I thought about it. But the times that I did think about it, I began to pray sincerely for her, that God would help her and God would bless her. And I remember thinking, and the devil's always right there on your shoulder when you're trying to do the things that the Lord directs you to do. And the, the devil started complaining and challenging me about, well, what are you going to do? Here, this money that she's using and she's holding on to, that's money that was part of your dad's estate that should be divided between you and your brother. And I remember saying, just real shortly, maybe not at the same time that I first saw, uh, saw her and how afraid she must have been. But I remember saying to the Lord for the devil's benefit, I remember saying, I'll be all right. The money doesn't matter to me because God's on my side. Lord bless her. And he did. Man, he started doing some outstanding things for her. And I'm glad of that. I hope it, I hope it had to, we never kept in contact. Don't know the, the end of the story, really. But I knew I was okay. I knew I had done what God wanted me to do. I knew I'd operated in the love of God, and that opened the door for God to do some great things for me, to perform some miracles on my behalf, to get me to Bible school, and to put me on track with what God would have for my life. Someone once said that holding unforgiveness, harboring unforgiveness against somebody is like drinking poison and expecting your enemy to die. I think there's a lot of truth in that analogy. We hold grudges and we hold unforgiveness against certain people thinking that we're doing them harm, but the only one we're really hurting is ourselves. So the disciples were right on when they said, Lord, increase our faith. 
they recognized that faith had to be used to forgive somebody when you have a legitimate beef against what they've done. When somebody really does you wrong, legitimately does you wrong, we're quick to cry out for revenge because that's what we feel. Our flesh wants to respond in the same way that it was attacked or operated against. But faith in God, faith in his word, faith in that unseen realm that's revealed to us by the word of God, that's always the better way. It's always the better way. Notice with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 beginning in verse 1. Paul said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of, of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, all those things are, the, are, are good things to do and good things to have on your resume. But if it's not coming from a foundation of love, it really doesn't count. Now, I'm going to keep reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but I'm going to skip over beginning with verse 4. I'm going to skip into the, uh, the Amplified translation. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 from the Amplified. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Brother Hagin used to say a lot of people endure long because they don't have a choice, but they're not patient and kind in the process. Love never is envious, nor boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude or unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly. Love, that is God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it, and it pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice in injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person, its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails. It never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. As for the prophecy, the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose, it will be fulfilled and pass away. As for tongues, they will be destroyed and cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away and lose its value and be superseded by truth. But love never fails. Love never fails. One of the, my favorite stories that Brother Hagin used to tell is about a, a family that he was acquainted with and knew that were part of a church. They had been, uh, they were ordained ministers. Both the husband and wife were ordained ministers. And they had pastored in uh, of several different places. But at the time that he told this story or the time that these things happened, they were in between pastorates. And so they were attending a church that Brother Hagin was having a meeting in. And so they renewed acquaintances and they went to lunch one day after the morning service. And she was distraught. 
she said, Brother Hagin, you've got me all confused. And he said, no, sister, you were confused before I got here. The word of God just showed it up. But then he asked what the problem was, and she said, I hate my mother-in-law. Well, Brother Hagin said, I knew she didn't hate her mother-in-law. She just wasn't let the love, letting the love of God that's within her dominate her. She's giving in to her feelings. And the, apparently the situation was over her husband. This was her husband's mother. He came from a family. His dad had died when he was like 10 years old in some kind of accident. And so he had three sisters. And so there was a mom and three women, three other women trying to tell him what to do. Now after he got married, his wife wants to tell him what to do. So there's a conflict. And so that was kind of the source of her issue with her mother-in-law. And she said, you said last night in the service that whoso hates his brother abides in death and hath no eternal life within him. And then just as a matter of course, Brother Hagin had made a, tried to make a joke or whatever, and he just added to that, that means mother-in-law too. Well, it seems like that was directed by the Holy Ghost because it got her stirred up a little bit. And so he told her, he worked around to the place where he said, I want you to do something for me. I want you to look me right in the eye and say, I hate my mother-in-law. And at the same time, check on the inside of you and see what's happening down there. So she did. She said, I hate my mother-in-law. And Brother Hagin said, what's going on down in your, in your heart, your innermost being? She said, something's scratching me. He said, well, of course, that's your conscience. You know that you are not supposed to hate anybody and that's your conscience trying to lead you in the right path and, and away from the wrong path, away from, uh, away from unforgiveness and such. And so she said, well, what am I going to do? He said, act like you do love them because you really do. From your heart, you really do. Your feelings may not say so. Your feelings may not be in line with it yet. But act toward them as you would if you really did love them because you do. Well, a few days later, after one of the evening services, this, uh, uh, these, this couple, this ordained couple, invited Brother Hagen and the pastor and some others over to their house for fellowship after the evening service. And her mother-in-law and the rest of her husband's family was there too. And so she came to Brother Hagen during that time of fellowship and said, Brother Hagen, you were right. She said, I don't hate my mother-in-law. I don't hate my f husband's family. They're wonderful people. They may be nosy sometimes or get a little too involved, but they're not the terrible people that I painted them to be. They're good people. And so she reconciled herself. She acted in line with the word and reconciled herself to bring things back in, in order. But a couple of weeks went by, and Brother Hagen was still in that meeting, having an extended um, weeks of meetings. Brother Hagin used to say that he wouldn't accept a meeting for less than three weeks at a time. And so he was a long time at certain places. I think the longest meeting they ever had was nine weeks in one place. But anyway, a couple of weeks went by and um, Brother Hagin got a call from this lady that had talked to him about hating her mother-in-law. They had an adopted daughter and this little girl had these epileptic fits. And the doctor said that, that her case of epilepsy was the worst of anything that he had ever seen in his time as a doctor. And so she said, 
call him the daughter's name. My daughter's having one of those preliminary attacks that come right before the big ones hit. Would you come by here and lay hands on her and pray for her? Brother Hagen said, well, yeah, it's on our way to the church. We're headed for the evening meeting in just a few minutes. We'll stop by there and, um, and pray for the child. So when they got in the car, Brother Hagen and his wife, they started toward this woman's house. And the Lord spoke to him, and he said, it sounded audible to me. He said, I asked my wife, did you hear that? And she didn't hear anything, so it wasn't audible in that sense. But it was a real strong thing that, was, uh, that the Lord told Brother Hagen. And the Lord said, don't pray for the mother, don't pray for the child. Tell the mother to say, uh, he, he prefaced it with this, the Lord said, in the Old Testament, I told my people that if they would obey my commandments and walk in my statutes, I would take sickness away from the midst of them. He said, under the new covenant, there's only one law, and that's the law of love. But tell, tell the woman to say, to the devil, Satan, I'm walking in love. Take your hands off my child. So Brother Hagen got there, Brother and Sister Hagen got there, told the mother what the Lord said, and instantly she turned around and pointed to where her daughter was and said, Satan, I'm walking in love. Take your hands off my daughter. And that seizure stopped as fast as you could snap your fingers. That seizure stopped. And it didn't come back on this daughter but one time over the next 15 years. And they did exactly the same thing. They handled it in exactly the same way. This time the daughter did it for herself. She said, Satan, I'm walking in love. Take your hands off my body. Now some would say, yeah, but I'm not walking in love. That sounds great, but I'm not walking in love. Well, neither was she until a couple of days before. One of the things I love about that story is, God's, is it shows that God's not trying to catch you doing something wrong or punish you or penalize you in any way whatsoever. The Lord didn't say, say to the mother, I'm walking in love and after I pay penance for so, a certain period of time or the blessing of God is withheld from me for a certain period of time, then I can receive. God's looking for every person He's looking for an, uh, an opportunity to bring his blessing upon every one of us. Not to make us pay for some wrongs that we've done. Not to hold something against us. But just as he tells us to forgive other people, God forgives instantly and it brings us back into a place of fellowship. Jesus said in John chapter 15 verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done for you of my Father which is in heaven. How do we abide in him? Well, the Bible says God is love. He has faith, but he is love. So if we're abiding in God, then we, are have, we would, of necessity, by definition, be walking in love. And folks, once we get into the place where we're walking in love, Romans 13.10 says, Love works no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. All the Ten Commandments and all the 630 commandments of the Old Covenant and Old Testament are wrapped up in one single commandment, and that's love. Love is the commandment of the New Covenant. And when we're walking in love, there's nothing that can stop the power of God from bringing us the things that we prayed for or bringing our words to pass. Walking in love is the, way, is the walk of victory in every respect. Let's pray.
Father, we bless you. We thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you, Father, that the love, of, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. We recognize, Father, even as we have a measure of faith, we have a measure of the love of God. And just as we can grow and develop in faith, we can grow and develop in love. Thank you, Father, for showing us what your love is and what it's like and how it operates in us. Let us, Father, come to the place, grow to the place where we pay no attention to suffered wrongs, where we don't yield evil for evil, but instead, contrarywise, we walk in blessing and we bless others. Father, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice that's harboring unforgiveness, I pray that you by the Holy Spirit would show them Reveal to them and show them how simple it is just to let go. To let go of that hardness of heart. To let go of that bitterness. To let go of that unforgiveness. Father, your love, as demonstrated by Jesus, didn't hold anything against anyone no matter how wronged Jesus was no matter the intent of the men's hearts that did evil against him. You forgive and you forgave. Father, I pray that we would be that people that would walk in the new commandment of love so that all men would know we are your disciples. Father, we commit to you to not only forgive, not only to walk in love, but to develop that love and grow in that love. So that we could be followers of Jesus, imitators of Jesus, no matter what comes against us. Thank you, Father, that forgiveness sets us free. It's so good to be free, Lord. It's so good to know that nothing can take us out of your hand of love. So, Father, we commit to you that will be examples of your love. We'll demonstrate the love of God. We'll forgive others even as you forgave us. And we'll walk in the blessings of God. We declare that our faith is growing exceedingly. We declare that our faith works. And it works by love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you Sunday morning.